Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. I've been thinking about this this coming month. Um, I really sense like we're shifting over. I know we've got a government announcement as far as we're hoping to have everything wide open uh, provincially by the beginning of July. But bigger than that, this has been more than just a natural thing. It has been a spiritual journey. It is a spiritual journey. And this time last year, we were talking about what is it that God is doing in us How is he preparing us? How is he molding us? How is he shaping us? What should we do? And last year, when we had the three months of of not being in the building together, there was a grace for it. You know, we were all online. It was fun. You know, you had a couple hundred people commenting and and there there was an ability to connect in a new way. This past three weeks, there has not been, you know, barely like there's enough grace to do it but no sense that this could be a long-term plan it was like here it's just a little reminder of what happens this is this is a reminder of what happens if the church is shut down and it reminds us to hold our post it reminds us to hold the line it reminds us the value of what it is to walk with God the importance of the church the necessity of the body it reminds us And for anybody who forgot what it was like last spring, this past three weeks reminded us again, no, this is worth fighting for. The the things of God are worth fighting for, worth standing for. And it's not like just churches were shut down. All of society was shut down. So we get that. But the point is, if the church doesn't value what she has, she'll lose it. So we have to value what we have. And God is leading us into a place not just to maintain what we've had, but there have been prophetic words after prophetic words after prophetic words of an end time harvest, a move of God that we are in the the very beginning stages of. And if we don't care about what happens in the church, we don't care about the things of God. If we're more concerned just about our comforts, we'll miss the opportunity. We'll miss it. We'll miss the opportunity to be a blessing. And let me tell you, I do not believe that it is about just having this building full. I believe it is about every single one of us being messengers of the kingdom wherever we are. I believe that this has taught us we can be the church. We're called to be the church. So what does that mean? As we cross over, um, you know, for me personally, Wayne and I have talked a lot about this. We're, we're dealing with life on a, on a business level and a church level and family and whatever. And, uh, you know, we got the, heard the news on Wednesday or whatever it was. Um, and so you listen first for the churches. Churches will be available to be open this weekend at 15% capacity. Praise God. And then the premier said, and this summer events and concerts and gatherings of all kind can open. And Wayne and I looked at each other, because that's our business, right? We're like, really? And, and here's the reality. We didn't even get excited. We just felt like melting. Like, just like, oh, thank God. We made it. We made it. How many of you felt that this week? We made it. We survived. We're we're barely hanging on, but we got there. We made it. We made it. And there's something about this season, like last year when we gathered together after our months apart and it was such a big celebration. This is like, I feel like literally we are walking off the battlefield and you're like, thank God. (sighs) Okay. But there's scars, there's bruises, there's like blood and schmutz everywhere. You're like, okay, we're still alive. Okay. 
But it's not this, we're not ready for the party yet. We have to figure out how to cross over. Are you with me? So there's this time, there's this season of, of what we call active waiting, where we're waiting on God, like, what do we do now? Every time you come out of a major crisis, you have a, a moment where you're grateful, but what do I do now? You know, you come out of long-term cancer treatments, and, and you don't, that's not your life anymore. What do I, what do, I do with my days now? You, you come out of an extensive financial situation, and you can actually pay your rent at the end of the month, and, and now... What, what do I do now? How, how do I do this now? You come out of a relational broken situation and you actually make peace, but you've spent so much time stewing over this for the last six months or year or six years that now it's like, what do I do now? We wait on God. We wait on God. So the next four weeks, we're going to spend time just looking at different aspects because I believe God wants to breathe on the dream again. And, and, and sometimes we have to receive strength to conceive, like Sarah did. We have to receive the strength to conceive. We've been in survival mode. We've been in that thing where literally we're looking at how do we get through today? How do we get through this week? And, and most of us have not been brimming with vision, personal passion. You know, I remember Wayne and I sitting there one day and we're like, well, what, what do we, we need to book our summer holidays and whatever, where should we go? Good question. Where can we go? Is there, is there anywhere to go? And we realized, like, you can't even, like, that's always been my getaway escape is, like, someday. It might be, it might be three years down the road, but we've got a trip planned to somewhere. And so if I'm in the middle of the most stressful day, I can escape in my mind. Somewhere. There's nowhere to escape. There's, we've been in survival mode. And God has sustained us. He's walked us through it. You're okay. I don't know if you check, but you're breathing. If the ushers are doing their job anyway, we've made sure that everybody in the room today is breathing. We're good. We're good. You're, you're here. You've made it. Six months ago, you thought, I don't know if I can take anymore. You're here. You made it. Three months ago, you thought, I don't know if I can take anymore. You're here. You made it. You made it. You're a walking, talking testimony of God's faithfulness. You made it. You made it. And now what? Now we lean in. Now we actively wait. So today, I've got a, a message. I'm going to like try and ram through. Kara uh, was looking at the notes. She's like, this is a very long message. It's a very long message. Just, But you have not been in church for three weeks. So <laughs> enjoy the comfort of this seat and the nice company around you. Get your notebooks out. We're going to go in today. And, and dig out some how-tos, because when I say actively waiting on the Lord, not all of us knows what that means. But today we are going to talk about the original 12-step plan. The original 12-step plan, and if you're doing the math in your head, that is 12 points minus uh, five minutes per point. <laughs> we'll, we'll get out of here sometime today. Um, but the act of waiting process that God's calling us into is this thing that has been in place in all of history. Some uh, of the people that we know who waited well were the original fathers of the faith. We know Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob, Moses, uh, Joseph, Joshua, David, they all have periods of active waiting on God to step out into things. We have people like, uh, you know, Peter, who had to be changed from being a rough, tough fisherman to being a man of God who was going to lead the church. And he had periods where he had to step away and, and discover who God was. We know that we read real quickly about the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, and he changed, and he, he, he totally had a new life. He had 12 years of waiting where God changed him and transitioned him on the inside. And so there are periods, there's a history of what it looks like when we wait. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31 is the scripture that we kind of ended with last week. It says, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall be faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This passage is telling us that there is a natural flow of life. It is normal at times to be weary, to feel weak, to feel empty, to feel a little depleted. God doesn't go smarten up and stand up. He says, wait on me and I will renew the strength. I will cause you to mount up on wings as eagles. I will help you to run and not grow weary. I will help you to walk and not faint. He's saying the thing that's ahead of you that right now you're looking at and you're like, I don't even, I I do not have the gumption to do that. I don't have the... I don't have the oomph on the inside anymore. God's like, I know. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't unvalidate the, the dream. It doesn't invalidate the vision. It doesn't invalidate the purpose. It's this thing that you have to pause between here and there and wait on me so that as you begin to step out in that, you are strong, you are able, you are encouraged, you are built up. It means right now, just because somebody threw the, the gate uh, you know, open or at least hinted that it's going to be open. We don't expect that we can just automatically run. We make sure we wait on the Lord. We lean into active waiting on him so that we can run, walk, soar so that we can dream, so that we can live the plan. We have to understand that no matter what the circumstances are around us, our core reality is God is real. Our core reality is God is real, he is faithful, and I'm going to lean into him. I am going to trust his faithfulness. So one of the main guys who I I just want to, we're going to focus on a bit today is King David. King David is the ultimate waiter. Last week, we talked about the the sound of the uh, marching in the treetops. He was going to war, and God said to him, yeah, I'm going to give you the victory, but you need to go around to the other side of the the army that you're facing, and you're going to wait for a sound. And when you hear the sound, you're going to know that I have gone out before you, and I'm giving you the victory. I am going to do this thing. It was this conscious waiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God's timetable. I'm going to trust God's wisdom. I'm going to trust God's counsel. I'm going to spend time waiting on him. And over and over and over again, King David had periods of time where he would just wait on God. He would pause and he would fast and he would seek the Lord and he would inquire of the Lord and he would encourage himself in the Lord. He leaned into the Lord. And this is not just about the major things, which sometimes require an extension 
extended period of waiting, like a, you know, an extended fast, something like that. But daily, we wait on the Lord. We get our daily instructions. We get our daily encouragement. We get our daily bread. And that waiting begins to be, become a lifestyle for us that leads us into the past and the plans that he has for us. One of the things that King David said in Psalms 31, verse 14 to 15, he said, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, and I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. In other words, no matter what was going on, if you read Psalm 31, King David's not having the best time of his life, um, but my times are in your hand. Every day that I have, I trust that I am in your hand. As we move forward, as we look backward, as we celebrate what God has brought us through, as we dream about what he's bringing us into, the core truth has to be, my times are in your hands. I am found in the center of your will. I am found in the protection of the almighty God. Charles Spurgeon says, about King David here, he said, he has no fear as to his circumstances, since all things were in the divine hand. He was not shut up unto the hand of the enemy, but his feet stood in a large room, for he was in a space large enough for the ocean, seeing the Lord had placed him in the hollow of his hand. And then I, I love this phrase, to be entirely at the disposal of God is life and liberty for us. Isn't that good? To be entirely at the disposal of God is life and liberty for us. He's saying that essentially when King David said, he said, I, I, I trust you. You are my God. My times are in your hands. That there is no better place for us to be than completely dependent and completely surrendered to him. Now, I don't know about everybody else, but I would say that one of the things I think has been broken open this year is our self-dependence. I feel like as we've gone through and, and decisions have been made for us and, and rules have come down and we've had to adapt and we've had to change and shift and move, we have learned that our times, the, the only stable one, the only faithful one is God. When we can't provide for ourselves, we can't think ourselves out of this problem, we can't solve it, we can't make sense of it, our times are in his hand. He's in control. And every time, did anybody else notice this year? Every time you're about to spin out of control and you actually pause to go back into the presence of God, peace. You're like, oh, okay. No, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. You know, maybe two days later, you're spinning out. Come back. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. The center of his will, the center of his hand is the best place to be. God wants us to experience the adventures of the kingdom, the, the extravagant plans that he has planned for us, but we cannot achieve it. We cannot experience it if we're not in the center of his hand, if we're not in the core, in the center of his will. And so in order to do that, we are going to lean into today Psalm 37, and a couple of weeks ago, I shared this on one of our updates. This has been a lifeline for me. It's a very interesting psalm, and I would encourage you to read it. Like, read the whole thing. We won't do the whole thing today. But the whole, uh, the whole of Psalm 37 is one of the psalms of David that's completely out of character for the rest of the psalms. 
He wrote it near the end of his life, and it's not written as a, as a prayer to God. It's not written even as a journal-type entry. It is an instructional psalm that he wrote, and if you follow it through, apparently in the Hebrew, it's going along uh, the alphabet. It's following a specific teaching style. So he stepped out of his normal uh, speaking style, his normal interactive worship style before God, and this is like, as an old man... This is what I have learned, and this is what you need to know. And so from that perspective, we can lean into this and go, okay, here's the guy who perfected waiting. He gets it. And so just to give you a a heads up, you know, verse 1 and 2, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. He goes, you know, back and forth like this, and it's talking about stuff like, don't look around the people around you, the situations, the circumstances around you that seem off. Don't worry about it. Don't even give it any attention. God is well able to handle it. God is going to, there's going to take time that you're going to be walking with God, but God is going to handle the stuff that needs to be handled. And it's such good wisdom. But he starts us into this 12-step plan, and my favorite portion here is verses 5 to 8. And so we're going we're gonna to pick this apart and look at the 12 steps that David gives us on how to wait, how to, how to trust, how to experience God's goodness in the middle of the turmoil. Because guess what's not going to change? There is never going to be an end of trouble. There is never going to be an end of upset. There is never going to be an end of crazy people doing bizarre things that affect everybody. There is, there is, there is never going to be an end to wars and rumors of wars. There's never going to be an end to natural disasters. There's never going to be. But there is a consistency in God that takes us through it all. And so it's like having a really good vehicle with really good suspension and really good tires that no matter how bumpy the road is, you ride in comfort. You just ride that thing, you know? And so God's going to lead us through this as we begin to wait on him. So starting at verse 3, and I'm just going to read right down to 8, and then we'll pull it back apart. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Oh, good stuff. So here we go. 12 steps. Number one, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. He says, so trust in the Lord. Excuse me. The word trust here means to put your confidence in, to be sure, bold, and secure. Trust and faith go hand in hand. We have faith in that whom we trust, in in the person, the being that we trust. God is saying he's trustworthy. We have to actually trust him. So if you look at it this way, Put your confidence in. Be sure, bold, secure. It means going forward, I need to put my confidence in the Lord. I need to be sure about the Lord. I need to be bold about the Lord. I need to be secure in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then it gives us the hint. And lean not on your own understanding. And lean not on your own understanding. 
Most of us have experienced in this past year some period of time where we couldn't figure it out and yet somehow God came through. Right? It means that as you're moving forward, actively waiting requires that we choose to trust in the Lord even if we can't sort out the why of it, even if we can't sort out the how of it, even if we don't have a natural understanding of what God's plan and purpose is in it. I place my confidence in him. I, I put my uh, sureness, I, I am sure in him. I am bold in him. I am secure in him. I decide that even if everybody else around me tells me it's crazy, I'm good. Why? I'm trusting in the Lord. Well, how's that going to happen? I don't know. How's he, how, how's he going to provide? I don't know. How's he going to open the door? I don't know. How, you know, how's he going to put that back together in? I don't know. But I trust in the Lord. My confidence is in him. This is actively waiting. It's a, it's a choice that we use to our mouths to actually declare and begin to speak over our circumstances, over our businesses. How are things going to come back together for our province and our nation? Who knows? But I tell you what, if a nation will turn to God, God will exalt that nation. So I'm leaning that way and I'm going to choose to trust in God's ability to do the impossible and I'm going to believe that he is well able. So number one is trust the Lord and then do good. Number two is do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Sometimes we picture waiting as this, I'm waiting for God to, I'm waiting for God to say something, do something, show up. I'm waiting for God to make a way. I'm waiting for God to open a door. I'm waiting for God to prov- In the meantime, this does not mean you Netflix it and hang out on the couch until you see some sky writing that tells you to move. In the meantime, do good. In the meantime, do what is right. We should be about the Father's business. This is not, waiting does not mean utter passivity. Waiting means I'm not going to make something happen, but I'm going to make my life count while I'm waiting. While I'm waiting, I'm going to do what is right. We know that James 2, 14 to 17 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if somebody says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. So in the meantime, we begin to do the things that God has called us to do in practical, natural ways. I've heard so many stories this year of people just taking cookies or muffins to their neighbors, of doing like practical stuff. I heard you're going to be, you know, uh, quarantining. Can we pick up groceries for you? Can we help you with your yard? Can we shovel your snow uh, in house? There's been tens of thousands of dollars that have gone back and forth between those that have and those that have been in need this year and and needs have been covered praise god that is doing good that is doing the right thing so we want to keep up with that that's a part of moving forward interestingly enough even in uh, the psychological world in studies in you know depression and mental health issues one of the things that gets prescribed regularly is start volunteering somewhere Start serving somewhere. Start looking outside of yourself. If we're waiting, 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 we'll drive ourselves bonkers. We need to be moving, moving, moving. Not just running ahead of God, not just making, making stuff happen, but doing those things that are of faith. 
practically, how can I be a blessing today? I've got breath in my lungs. I've got strength to do something. How can I serve today? I'm still waiting on God for the big opening, but in the meantime, I will be found faithful which is such a principle of God. When we're faithful with the little things, he makes us faithful over much, right? So we have to become faithful in this hour. That is active waiting, active waiting, looking for the little places to serve. Right now, I'm starting to think one of the active places to serve could be picking up all the nasty masks that are laying all over the parking lots now that the snow melted. Yesterday, I'm walking around going, I need some rubber gloves. I just need to clean up some stuff here. Whatever. Look around your neighborhood. How can you serve dandelions that are out of control? You know, practical, practical helps. People who have just had it with their kids that could use a little extra care. Whatever. Do good. Find the places. Number three, then, is dwell in the land. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Number three, dwell in the land in the land. Now, this is one of these very, very interesting verses. We could, we could sit on this for a super long time. What does it mean to dwell in the land? What it doesn't mean is check out a life and wait for Jesus to come back. Really? It means that if this is the place that God has placed you, and this is the time that he's put you in, he's put in you what is necessary to do what needs to be done. It means that God knew that you would be in Grand Prairie, in Alberta, in Canada, in 2020, 2021, going through this, and he put something in you to be a blessing. For real. I know. You wished you lived in Texas, didn't you? But you're here now for a reason. I'm kidding. Come on now. You're like, why do I want to be in Texas? Because. <laughs> we have been placed here now for a reason. Dwelling in the land, there's this interesting passage in the middle of Jeremiah 29. We don't have time to look it up today. You guys all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Yeah. Right? He knows the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future prosperity. All these good things, we know that. It is found at the tail end of where God is talking to his people in captivity. Read the chapter. We love to cherry pick the promises. The promises are God says, I have a plan for you. I know the plans that I have for you. It's a good promise. It's a good, it's a good scripture to hang on the wall. Prior to that, God is saying, while you are in captivity, dwell in the land. And he goes on and he says things specifically like, uh, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit. Marry and have children, you know, marry off your kids, have grandchildren, increase, be fruitful while you're in this place that you've been taken captive. And then he says, seek the peace of the city that you have been called to, for in its peace you will have peace. They could have sat there for a generation going, take us home. Just take us home. We don't want to be here. We don't want to be here anymore. We don't want to be here. This is not fair that we're here. It's not right that we're here. We thought God loved us and clearly he's forgotten us. We just want to go home. God's like, no, while you're there, while you're waiting for something to happen, which I have planned, in the meantime, while you wait, dwell in the land. Be fruitful. 
increase, multiply, be a blessing, seek the peace of the city, pursue what is right. It's an interesting thing because so many of us are so focused on when we get out of here, when there's some breakthrough, we forget that we are here to be a blessing in every single day. It means looking at your neighbors and going, wow, God planned for me to be right next to you and you. How can I be a blessing? God planned for me to be on this street. How can I be a blessing? God planned for me to be in this city. How can I be a blessing? It means that as a church, what we are called to is not so much having giant events that people come to, but going out into the city and everybody affecting the place that he's called you to be. This is dwelling in the land. It means it's okay to have a business plan. It's okay to build a house. It's okay to want to prosper and see increase. We don't make that our focus, but it's okay to want to dwell in the land. It's part of God's plan. Now, it's interesting because it says specifically, seek the peace of the city for its peace. In its peace, you will have peace. And this is reflective of James 3, which says, now the fruit of righteousness, which is what we've been praying for, right? Righteousness and justice in our province, in our nation. Yeah. So it says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It means as part of praying for righteousness to be revealed and returned to in our city, in our province, in our nation, it is my role as part of my waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting for him I'm waiting for him to take the stage. I'm waiting for God to take the rightful throne of this nation. And my part of it is sowing seeds of righteousness in peace. It means that I pray for this city. It means I'm invested in my neighborhood. I'm invested in my kids' school. I'm invested in city government. I'm invested in my, in my employer, and my, my uh, workplace that God has placed me. Wherever he has placed me, I'm invested in seeing this thing prosper and be successful. I'm invested in sowing seeds of righteousness into that place. I don't have control over what happens in, in parliament. I don't have control over what happens in legislature. But I do happen, have control over what happens out of my mouth in my workplace, in my neighborhood, how I sow the seeds of peace. So dwell in the land means actually be invested in this place, in this time, because this is where your harvest is. That's kind of exciting. So number four then, we're moving quick. We might have to pick this up next week if I don't get through it. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell on the land. Number four, feed on his faithfulness. What do I think about? How do I meditate? Where do I put my brain? Oh, I just need to escape. Feed on his faithfulness. You start thinking about what God has done, who he is, his character, his nature, the, 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 the very heart of God that's manifested around you in so many ways. I'm telling you the fact that we are all here today, healthy, strong, blessed, provided for, stable, in a, in a non-war environment, that we can be in peace here. This is a blessing of the Lord. We should be grateful. It's his faithfulness. It doesn't mean it wasn't bumpy. It doesn't mean it's not still bumpy. It doesn't mean it's not going to be bumpy, but he's always going to be faithful. He is always going to be the place that we can go back to again and again and again. We're going to be sharing some testimonies in the weeks to come of what God has done in people's lives. I'm telling you, we are walking, talking miracles in this place. Not one of us has not thought we couldn't go any further. I'm sure. And yet we are here. Why? Because of his faithfulness. 
the Passion Translation says uh, it this way, fix your heart on the promises of God and you will dwell in the land feasting on his faithfulness. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will dwell in the land feeding of his faithfulness. Number five, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. It means that you personally are going to take responsibility for what it is you are aiming at, where you find satisfaction, where you find joy, where you find fulfillment, what the goal is, what the dream is, what the heart is, what the passion is, what the purpose is. We decide personally that my well done is going to come from him. My good day is going to come from him. My dream is going to come from him. My purpose is going to come from him. My desire is going to come from him. My, my, my time spent is going to be with him in anything else that I'm doing. It doesn't mean that I won't dream because we're supposed to dwell in the land. It doesn't mean I'm not going to dream of having a successful business or a, a nice home or a fruitful harvest or a healthy family or the good things that I dream about. But as I dream about them, my real delight, the reason that I want those things to be in place is because I want to live as an offering to him. The core passion, the undercurrent under everything is him. First Timothy 6, 7 such an interesting one. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. <laughs> we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. It means that no matter how much we put into the building, the fruitfulness, being good stewards, seeing the increase, seeing the blessing of God on our lives, on our family, on our neighborhood, at the end of it all, it's got to be for his glory. It's got to be for his well done. It's got to be everything I do, I literally am doing it as an offering to the Lord. Everything about my life is in pursuit of him. It's after his heart. It's, it's going for him, through him, by him. It's all about him. It means no matter whether we have a lot or a little, if it's for him, it's pleasing to the Lord. Whether, whether we see, you know, ourselves move to the place of being CEOs of some big company or whether we've got some, you know, small job just kind of getting by week to week, but this is what God's called us to. If it's for him, it brings him glory, right? Whether you live, you know, in, in a travel trailer or whether you live in a mansion on a hill, if it's what God has provided for you and called you to and you steward it well, it brings him glory, it's this thing that no matter what, no matter what shakes, no matter who's in government, no matter what's allowed or not allowed, no matter what's possible or not possible, I'm good because everything I do and am is for his glory. I delight myself in the Lord. I am choosing my priorities well. Number six, commit your way to the Lord. And we're actually going to finish with this one today. 
this is kind of a big deal. If you got your Bibles open, Psalm 37 here, I want you to look over at verse 23 and 24. So he says here in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 23 of the same psalm says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, capital H, delights in his, small h, way. He, God, delights in my way. God actually looks at my life, if, if I... If, if I am walking in this, it's not meaning that I do good stuff. It means that I'm righteous in his eyes because I'm his. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. How do I wait on God? I know that not only, remember we talked last week about why, why do you say in, in Isaiah 40, why do you say God how, how, how have I been uh, dismissed by you? How, how is it that you don't see me? You've forgotten me. No, this word tells us that God actually sees us. He delights in our way. He actually takes pleasure in our lives. And even if we fall, God upholds us. Every time we stumble, he pulls us back up again. Every time something shifts or shakes and it seems like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that again. God pulls us back up again. Every time it seems like something that has been fashioned against us seems to have succeeded, God says, no, that's impossible. That's impossible. I have the final word. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And even though we stumble a little bit, God upholds us. There's this shift that happens. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. My times are in your hand. If I stay there, I'm upheld. If I stay there, I stay in his hand, I stay in his presence, I stay in this relationship, I actively am waiting on him, I'm doing life with God. I can't stay down. You might knock me down, you might push me down, you might trip me, but I cannot stay down. I cannot stay down. Why? Because the word tells me I cannot. I shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord is upholding me in his hand. Sometimes we need to pause and we need to stir up hope again. There's a hope. There's an understanding that even though things haven't been how we wanted them to be in these past 15 months, God has upheld you. You are a walking, talking testimony. Did you know that? You are. You are a walking testimony of God's goodness. Do you know we have had dozens of people come to Christ this year? In the middle of one of the most difficult times that the church has had, you know, in our neck of the woods, dozens of people come to Christ and meet him for the first time. Get right with him. That is a walking, talking testimony of God's faithfulness. This is who he is. So we commit our way to the Lord. We stay in that, the, the palm of his hand. Now, I want you to just shift over to Proverbs 16, 3, because it's the same uh, same use of words. It's been translated slightly different, but it's the same context. It's really a lot of the stuff that Solomon wrote in Proverbs, the roots of it are what his father told him, is what his dad, King David, told him. And the wisdom from God ignited it. But it says, 
Proverbs 16, 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. The Amplified puts it this way. It says, commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them wholly to him. That's a big phrase. Submit and trust them wholly to him. It means that when I would like to control the circumstances of my life, I actually am going to come deliberately and bring everything to God and commit and trust them wholly to him. And he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. What I want you to see in this is that the simple prophetic word of Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's saying there that the the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, God has a plan for your life. And when you're walking in that plan, no matter what comes against you, you're in the center. God is delighting in your path and he is upholding you in that place. He is walking you through it. So then when we look at Proverbs here and it says, roll your works unto God, commit them, trust them totally to him and he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. In other words, that the steps that are ordered by the Lord. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and then your plans are established and succeed. What am I saying? I'm saying, honestly, walking in complete selfish rebellion is not a great place to try trusting the faithfulness of God. God is faithful, but if you step out of his hand, that's that's your risk, right? Not mine. So when we're looking at this... this, uh, moving forward in the center of his will and we're committing our way to him. I don't know about everybody else, but for us as a church team, uh, staff, as as business, as a couple, we have moved forward and, and sat and said, okay, as things open up again, we know that we can't go back to where we were. What was actually doesn't exist anymore. The way people thought, functioned, the way life functions, the way businesses operate, the way, the way we are. We can't go back. We don't want to go back. There's been some stuff that God has taught all of us in this past season, some things that he's liberated that we don't want to go back. We might want the safety, the security, the sort of predictability of the past, but we honestly don't want to go back. We want to move forward in the things that God has for us. How do we do that? We're waiting on the Lord, actively waiting on the Lord by committing our way to the Lord, by committing our works to the Lord, submitting and trusting them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. What I am saying is we need to be very alert, aware, open, and willing for the changes of God in this season. What is ahead of you may be different, might look different than what was behind. He may be moving people into different jobs, into different housing situations, into different spending habits, into different ways of spending time, into different ways of interacting, into different ways of seeing the people around you. We need to be prepared that if we will wait on God and commit, God, how do we come out of this thing? What is it supposed to look like on the other side? I'm going to commit myself to you. 
I'm gonna roll this all on you and I'm gonna believe that you have a plan for me. I'm gonna believe that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, that you actually could make sense of this mess. And you tell me, what is it we're supposed to do now? You tell me, what decision am I supposed to make? I, I believe right now, as things begin to open in these next four or five weeks, every decision that you make is of vital importance. There's gonna be fleshy temptations and fleshy responses that want to pacify, that want things to be just a certain way, ignore those. This is the time for us to lean in and commit our way to the Lord. This is the place of peace. This is the place of staying in the center of his hand. I believe that there are literally fresh business ideas. Some of us, we've had our expenses cut, you know, our our income cut drastically, and we've had to shift expenses. That might be part of how God wants you to operate moving forward. Might not mean the income's going to stay low, but he might want to, you know, use you to be a blessing in a different kind of way. Business-wise, there might be different strategies that are completely, I mean, we have moved, uh, as a, a culture, we've moved into a completely different way of communicating with each other. Your business strategies need to be ordered by the Lord. Your spending habits, your time habits, it has to be ordered by the Lord. Verse uh, 23 specifically he delights in his way. So the place that God's calling us into, the place of his delight, the place of his goodness, this is waiting on the Lord. We've come through a season, I believe as a society, and we've, we've talked about this before, where, you know, I, I think coming out of like World War I, World War II, Great Depression, all of that together, and then we know that the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was like this radical abundance. There was a, like a liberation that happened, uh, women's lib movement, a lot of stuff that shifted in the 70s, 80s, that kind of stuff. And we moved into, you know, from celebrating on the, on the backside of war, on the backside of crisis, into self-indulgence, and into utter, utter, you know, disowning of any structure kind of 2000 and on we've made ourselves uh you know comfortable with the ideologies of nations around the world and various people groups and various um you know subgroups that have different thoughts and things that are different than our own and we've begun to take god out of the fabric of our society we've begun to shift off righteousness we've begun to shift off the basic core things that this nation was built on and i believe in this season we've had this pause that's actually a gift from God. Because had we kept going on the path that we were on, it would have been utter destruction. I believe there's a pause that gives room for a return to righteousness. But what it's gonna take is God's people doing what is right. We have to be in that place. So these first six steps give us something to go off of for this week. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. Psalm 37, going down the page, verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25, I have been young and now I am old. That's truer than it used to be when I read this verse. (laughs) Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, 
nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and he lends and his descendants are blessed. Verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. This is the place God's called us to. I'm gonna have the worship team come. We'll pick up with the next points next week. But Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.